The Pre-Med Years is part of the MedEd Media Network at mededmedia.com. This is the Pre-Med Year session number 199. Hello and welcome to the Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Oh, and we're two-time Academy Award nominated. Welcome back to the Pre-Med Years. I'm Dr. Ryan Gray, the host of the Pre-Med Years podcast, as well as all of the other podcasts, at least for now, over at mededmedia.com. Maybe in the future, there will be other podcasts that I'm not hosting. Hey, if you're interested in hosting one, let me know. To this week's podcast is a fun one. This one is with a podcast that is hosted at a medical school. And I've known about this podcast for a while. And at a podcast conference in July of 2016, I got to meet the man behind the podcast, Dave Etler. And it was an awesome time. We met, we talked, we had fun, and we decided to be on each other's podcast. So a couple weeks ago, as I'm recording this, I was on his podcast, the Short Coat Podcast. And now he and the students at Iowa's Carver College of Medicine get to be on the pre-med years. If you haven't checked out the Short Coat Podcast, I highly recommend you do. They're at theshortcoat.com. Again, that's theshortcoat.com. A great podcast. It's usually... Dave, who works at the college, and four medical students who are obviously students at the medical school there. And they have very interesting discussions and uh, about anything and everything. And sometimes they're doing weird things like trying different flavored toothpaste. And they, they do lots of funny things. I don't know what goes on in Dave's head sometimes, but that's a different story. <laughs> Go check out their podcast again, shortcoat.com. Let's jump into this podcast. Dave, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. Finally. Yeah. It's about I, time. I know it is. I'm sorry. About, I, didn't. I was asked to be on the show. <laughs> I know. It, it took me a while to, to, to get the courage to ask you because you've been so famous, uh, such an inspiration for me as I, I've gone on this journey. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how that might be true, but I am a human being. I, you know, I put my, my uh, pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Try to so, temper your amazement at my presence. I will. I will. Okay. So Dave, I want to talk a little bit about the Short Coat Podcast and mm -hmm. why the Short Coat Podcast was started. Well, so in 2010... There's a couple of reasons why it started, but uh, what it come, came down to was professional boredom uh, in the beginning. And, and you know, in, in 2010, I was, uh, my title was clerk at the Carver College of Medicine, and uh, my job was, it was a good job. It is a good job. Uh, but at the same time, I had been doing it already for 10 years or approaching 10 years, and I was, uh, I was uh, kind of, you know, it was, it was, it was old hat. Um, and at the same time, uh, my previous boss had, had left the college and I, there was a new boss coming in and I knew that he was into technology and things like that. And so one of the first things I said was, Hey, I've been wanting to do 
uh, podcast for a little while. I didn't really quite understand what that meant, but I wanted to do a, uh, a podcast and about medicals, medical students. So he's like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And so th- that's really how it began um, was a way to sort of alleviate my professional, my own professional uh, boredom. But I kind of knew that there was that there were stories. I mean, you, you know, in, in the years that I had been working here, um, I knew about the intensity of the medical school experience, and I knew about uh, the the sort of the triumphs and the difficulties that med students experience. And I felt like it was a good idea to tell that to tell that story. How have the medical students received being on the podcast? Well, I, I guess I would toss that over maybe to these guys. I mean, I will say that it's always difficult to get people to get past the idea that they're going to have microphones shoved in their face. <laughs> um, but what I like to say is that, you know, in the end, once you get used to it, it becomes like a, you know, just sitting down and having a conversation between friends. I mean, the only difference is we don't have beer. Uh, well, you here. could. So, I don't know if we could. But what do you guys think? <laughs> was was there an initial barrier? I mean, Levi, you're here for the first time, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there a barrier for you? Is there something that you have to get past? I mean, not really for me, because uh, I, I just my first experience with the podcast was uh, coming here on a on a tour day, and my tour guide saying, "Hey, let's go watch a taping of the podcast," and I didn't think it was going to be interesting at all, to be honest. And, <laughs> I came here and I, I was hooked and I wanted to get involved with this uh, as soon as I got to medical school. So I'm just at the end of my first week and, uh, you know, here I am. So there really wasn't a lot of barrier for me to overcome. And I, I feel comfortable speaking in front of small groups, large groups. So I guess personally, I didn't have a lot of uh, things to overcome. I think one thing that's hard about being a med student on a podcast is the idea that you're being recorded and professionally you don't want that to come back to bite you ever, you know, because like in medicine, you never know what's going to come back and you can't say, you know, <laughs> I've kind of gotten over just, you know, I kind of just say what I want at this point, but you kind of have to be careful about who, what you're saying and who you're saying it about. Mm-hmm. So, so that, I think that's the biggest one. Corbin, what year are you? I'm an M3. Okay, which explains the the short code and the the stethoscope yeah. I'm saying. So as as we're recording this for you listening, I'm I we're on Skype and I can see everybody sitting around the table. So I'm talking here to Levi, Corbin, Mark, and Rachel as well as the Dave Etler. <laughs> Corbin, talk about that for for one second. It, I think you're too early in your training to have that philosophy of of I I got to be careful what I say. Uh, Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it comes pr- partly from worrying about your resume a lot, just in your life, from when you're a pre med and like when you're when you're in school. Also, you you always want to be cons- you know think about like okay, you don't want to violate some patient's HIPAA you know privacy. That's always a concern. But I don't know. Maybe it's just like undue anxiety about getting evaluations. And one thing I've actually struggled with since starting um, rotations in medical school is the fact that you get evaluated from someone and like basically their personal opinion of you becomes becomes your grade. So mm-hmm. it's like, I you know, I have a big issue with it, but I think it partially stems from 
systems like that within med school. I definitely don't think it's too early for like people in like M1, M2, M3. I don't think it's too early for us to be worried about our like professional appearance, how like even just in like our more personal areas of life, I feel like sometimes that can still reflect as our onto our profession. And I feel like like it's more common that people I know are like a little more cautious about that. I follow a lot of like med school bloggers and a lot of them are like, gotta maintain an appearance here. I don't want to like get crazy. I think what part of it is too is like, so being young in our career, you have an image of what a doctor is, but you haven't this, you haven't figured out what it means for you to be a doctor yet. Mm-hmm. So you're like kind of trying that out. And so like maybe you are the doctor that swears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, why not? But like right now, it's scary to be the doctor who swears. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of trying on this, like, what does it look like for, you know, me to be a doctor? And what does a doctor say and how do they conduct themselves? I know so. a girl who, before she started medical school, she took out her tragus piercing because she thought it was unprofessional. And then she came here and saw, like, people with, like, gauges in. She was like, what? Because <laughs> her, her, her piercing had healed up already. So like, talk about talk about that professionalism that you were just talking about, Rachel. And, and talk about what happened in the news this past year with the resident who was fired from her neurology residency because of her unprofessionalism being video recorded beating up an uber driver or attacking an uber driver was that something that was discussed at at your school and and discussions around maintaining professionalism outside of school outside of medicine this is actually the first time i've ever heard of that so no really? we've discussed that um we actually haven't really had any like formal discussions of like personal behavior affecting the only one was during orientation at the end of the week uh our dean dean cooper he did give a very good uh kind of presentation about professionalism and how we're ambassadors for the university and the college of medicine so there was that big one i know socially going back to what you're talking about with the neurology resident i did bring up a discussion i remember with some friends just the idea of online presence and that's a culture that we've been brought up in is your online presence is something that may not go away if you want it to even if you actively try and I don't know, Levi, when you were applying, and I know there's some schools, I can think of Michigan State University, that will ask for your Facebook. They will ask for the link to it. And they're looking around. They're seeing what type of individual you are. So that's something that is in the back of my mind constantly. I don't know if it's too early or too late, but yeah. it's, uh, it was one thing that made me pause <laughs> In your case, second. it's too late. Yeah, when I saw <laughs> that, I was like, well, hmm. Facebook, what's Facebook? I need to go around <laughs> and see what kind of image am I presenting. Yeah, no, it's, that's good to know. So I'm interested to know... Levi, you're an M1. Corbin, you're an M3. Mark, what are you? M2. M2, and Rachel, I'm assuming M2 as well. As you guys were applying to school or uh, applying elsewhere and were pre-meds, did you listen to the Short Code podcast? I actually know about the Short Code podcast (laughs) until I came here and was like, what's that weird spidery looking thing with the microphones on it? (laughs) So, like, I kind of found out about it afterwards, um, but I like it now, so that's good, right? (laughs) (laughs) I actually did listen to it before I came to med school. It was, I don't know, I listened to it a lot more before I came to med school than I do now, mainly because I don't like to listen to my own voice, but... Um, I liked it because it was like somewhere you wanted to be and you're listening to people who were where you wanted to be. So it was, it was a good time. I guess I can say I, I didn't listen to it before I came, but I wish that I had. 
Yeah. Ooh, good one. Nice. Regret. Oh, it's a good post interview. I used it as a way of like feeling the culture of Cover College. So, you know, this was an area I'd never even been to Iowa prior to interviewing. So, okay. Once I saw this was an option, it was my way of saying, how do people talk and interact? And it, it was refreshing to see that there wasn't this fear of, you know, constant. Ugh. Yeah. It, the pe- people were normal in medical school. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They didn't change too much. That's Normal a, enough. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, the way I think Normal-ish. of it, it, the way I think of it is, you know, I, I also am not from Iowa. I'm from uh, the East Coast. And, you know, we're kind of snooty uh, out there on the East Coast about uh, the flyover states. And, you know, my wife got a job here out of grad school and she said, let's go to Iowa. And I said, let's go where? <laughs> and so at some point in this process, you know, we started looking at, um, apartments. And I wasn't able to come out here and look at apartments. Um, and keep in mind, this is 2000, you know, the web wasn't new, but it was certainly not something that apartment complexes were big into, but we found one where they had pictures and floor plans online. And what I noticed is that this particular apartment complex, their apartments all had the same floor plan as my grandmother's house. And, or my grandmother's apartment. And I remember feeling like the sense of, okay, I can live there. And I think that's sort of what the show does for the College of Medicine is it gives uh, listeners a window into the culture of the Carver College of Medicine um, and what medical students are like in general, which, you know, sort of allows them to see themselves in that, in that role. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. So talk about that culture a little bit more. Mark, when you were applying, you said you weren't from Iowa. Why did you apply here or there? Uh, the first thing that pulled me in, so that was at UC Davis, uh, they do those big fairs, you know, and there's yep. tons of schools from everywhere. Somebody had mentioned the humanities program, so I had majored in philosophy originally, and that kind of pulled me in. Um, it was kind of just a swing, just swinging for the fences. I thought, why not? It sounds like a cool program. I was super excited about it. But I thought my chances were extremely low being, you know, an out-of-state resident. Mm-hmm. Once I got an interview, I was stoked. Um, I fell in love with the school when I came. Yeah. And just, yeah, this kind of pulled me deeper and deeper into the culture of hearing how people think, the, you know, discussions that were coming up since, you know, it's kind of a free-form, you know, not agenda-driven podcast. So seeing that certain themes kept coming up, which was work-life balance, uh, talking about, you know, these individuals and students that it sounded like they were self-directing where they wanted to go. And I actually ended up canceling several interviews because I knew what else am I looking for? You're from California originally. I am. Yeah. Long okay. Beach, California. Okay. The, the word stoked just gave it away. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I'm from Redondo beach. So not, not too oh, far really? away. Yeah. Uh, Levi, what about you at being the, the first year student in the room? Why did you choose Iowa to apply to? Uh, well, I'm initially an, an Iowa resident. I've lived here all 22 years of my life. I did my undergrad here in Iowa and, uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the university of Iowa. There are a lot of people from my college here and I've kept in good contact with them. They've all said good things about the school. And when I came here, and I actually had the chance to interview and talk to some of the other students that I met on my interview day and some of the current medical students. I, I fell in love with the culture here and sort of the mindset of collaboration versus competition. That was one thing I was really looking for in a medical school. And Iowa, Iowa had that and it just happened to be a very good school. 
uh, academically, primary care, research-wise, too. And I was sold on on the school as soon as I saw uh, just how warm, welcoming, and collaborative the environment was here. So it's it's interesting you say that. In my opening for the podcast, I specifically say collaboration, not competition, is key to to pre med success. Yeah. So I promise I haven't watched your podcast before. <laughs> but, but, but do you do you find that that this is something that it, that still exists at other schools, Ryan? I, I mean, competition, competition, yeah, thing, definitely, yeah. Unfortunately, okay. it's. I think once you hit medical school, it's a lot less than pre-med because everybody's fighting to get into medical school. But even in medical school, there there are gunners and they are dangerous and uh, you can pick them out very easily. It's interesting because I feel like, and you guys can either disagree with me or, or not, I, I'm going to give you that option. Um, <laughs> for once. For Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always come up and you guys should cherish it when it does. But... I feel like the definition of gunners here is maybe a little different Absolutely. than it is elsewhere. And, and, you know, it's more of a, you know, somebody who just buckles down and, and does nothing else maybe to yeah. you, you know, then study medicine. It's not necessarily the people who sabotage other people. And, I actually don't think I like really know gunner gunners at all here. <laughs> so I think that's why that this definition is a little different at Carver. Yeah. So I got in this big discussion with a couple other people because they were joking about so-and-so is such a gunner and I was like, no, they're great. <laughs> yeah, they're gunners and this is that. And I was like, they're not. And we, we realized after a couple minutes of arguing that my definition of a gunner is someone that will succeed at the expense of others. I will do whatever I can to elevate myself even if that means pushing you down. Versus here, yeah, and maybe it's the I win work ethic, I don't know. But the idea of a gunner here is just someone that says, I will do what it takes, I will work very hard, and it's a very centralized, you know, kind of inward-looking mm -hmm. effort. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, and now that we're on clerkships too, where sometimes it does even behoove you to look better than your classmate, but that doesn't really happen on rotations here. It's always like, if I know something... And I'm, you know, one of my colleagues is being pimped. You kind of like try to whisper the answer below your breath or like, <laughs> you know, you just. It's an elaborate system of like, hey, hand signals right. that you use. Hey, I think you're supposed to do this. Maybe you should go do this quick just in case or like, you know, or we, we share a lot of study guides. So I don't know. I was actually a little apprehensive before starting medical school. Um. So I was an engineering major and like the College of Engineering here is like really collaborative and like my pre-med classes were not like that. There were gunners there and like I was kind of intimidated that like med school would be kind of moving more into that crowd of people and that has not been the case at all. Like yeah. it's just like, like I was like, oh, all of you guys are so cool and nice. Like it, it was really just not what I feared at all. Yeah, kind of the same here. I mean, our, our class already has like a class Facebook page going. And I've just seen resource after resource. People are going, hey, this is useful for anatomy. This might help you review biochem. And it's just a, a, a laundry list of Google Docs and spreadsheets people have been creating and sharing, adding to uh, just kind of as a class to try and get everybody ready for that next exam. Talk about the, the interview process there and looking back on it now, how you think they were able to find you guys and find students like yourself who are collaborative and not competitive and not that, that true definition of a gunner. I have no idea how admissions does. It's interesting because you'll see overlap. 
of individuals that have interviewed at the same schools. And I don't know, it always kind of amazes me that whatever these admissions process systems are, they're identifying the same traits. As for like answering that question, what I, I have no clue. It might have something to do with the CBL session they do on interview day. That might be like some type of qualitative assessment. As yeah, where so uh, on our interviews we do a, a CBL session called uh, case based learning, where you essentially have like an M three and an M four, a couple of upper class students, uh, and you have a small cohort of the people who are interviewing on that particular day, and they walk you through kind of like a general from. Uh, patient presentation all the way through to diagnosis and treatment and they kind of help you as a group try to reason through it but they don't just give you the answers you all kind of have to give your own input and they want to see if any one person kind of has sort of a dominating personality or uh, just sort of how how you interact with peers that you're meeting for the first time working with for the first time never really even met before. My impression of that was more like it's just like weeding out the people who just like socially fall on their face rather than like actually trying to select for people who really get along with each other. I I feel like it's probably more down to like the general culture rather than like the individual students just because it's like something that I feel like would just be really hard to actually select for. What do you mean uh, by that? The culture? Well, like you come in and there's really just like... N- there's like really not things that you compete for each other with. And like they, they kind of they split us up into like we have the houses like Bulware and Flux, like Hogwarts houses kind <laughs> of. Cool. Yeah. They do like team building things that aren't like lame team building things. They're like fun team building things. And like you get to know people. And I don't know, like I just never really like never even like got the impression that people would be like really competitive with each other here which is interesting because which is interesting because those team building exercises maybe not during orientation week but you know those continue throughout medical school um in the form of the uh the the community's olympics so there are you know periodic competition between the learning communities uh where they you know sort of compete for points or and, and they're all uh sort of uh, centered around uh, service activities as well. So, you know, we're going to, you know, uh, what's Bean's um, activity? I think it's, uh, well, let's say it's the shelter house. So they have a they have a shelter house uh, fundraiser. And, you know, so the points are gathered based on how much uh, donations are received. So there's still some competition. Uh, maybe, and maybe that's, so maybe that's an outlet for that competitive uh, you have to have good impulse. competitive outlets for type A competitive people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, put it in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. So that it point it where it needs to. Yeah. yeah. Katie's Katie's philosophy is like be as competitive as possible for things that don't matter. But like yeah. anything that like is actually like like grades or like test scores or anything, everybody's like just like working together for that. Like people will study together and like like share resources and everything. Um, That's great. Levi, talk about, since, since again, you're the M1 in the group, talk about your recent transition to medical school and, and how that's been compared to undergrad. Uh, so I had a little bit of a stark realization yesterday morning <laughs> that... Uh, Too late! As of, <laughs> uh, as of the end of today, for one of our classes, uh, Foundations, it's called, uh, I will have had nine lectures by this point this morning. Um, compared to my undergrad experience, which some classes were like, you know, at the most three lectures a week, 
So I've covered for one class about three weeks worth of material in what would have been or one week here would have been three weeks at my undergraduate. So it's taken a it's going to it's going to take a little bit for me to uh, adjust to to the pace. Uh, But so far, I feel like I'm definitely up to the challenge. I just have to figure out, you know, what's going to work for me and how how I need to adjust to the uh, the adjustment of uh, pace, but uh, I, I'm starting to see a little bit where the uh, the the classic fire hose analogy comes from. <laughs> and how soon is your first test for that class? Next Friday. Yeah. So, you, as a medical student, you become that professional test taker, which yes. is awesome. And Corbin, as an M3, you're now in your clinical rotations. How is that transition from the classroom to the hospital? Um, I think it's a big learning curve for sure. Just um, using all the knowledge that um, was like not ever. It was you know it was there and it was like you ha- in your mind, but now you actually have to apply it to a patient that you see. There's like definitely a, a little bit more of an urgency in some ways when you see a patient. And you're like, oh, gosh, I actually need to know this because I'm going to go into that room and, like, ask him about why he takes this drug. And he's going to be like, shouldn't you know why I take that drug? <laughs> I'm like, I should know, but can you just tell me? Like, oh, well, there's so many off-label uses. I just want to be sure. Yeah, I just want to be sure you're taking it in the right. I just want to know what you know so I can verify your information. No. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's still pretty tiring, um, but... The change, I, I think the big thing is a big learning curve. You have to deal with all like the, you know, the administrative stuff, which I think is a good lesson to learn about like Epic and what we can do for a patient because of their insurance and scheduling and <laughs> referrals. I mean, it adds a whole new complexity to the art of medicine for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, not, yeah. it's not 100% patient care all the time. Right. Yeah. Corbin, have you uh, embarrassed yourself at all? Every day. <laughs> you mean today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what. I mean, patients are super nice. So, and they're very forgiving, typically. I mean, not always, but, um, and you embarrass yourself. I mean, when you're faculty is so much smarter than you. So you're going to say something, you know, you're going to say something to them that is like so trivial, but it's just, you know, it's a part of learning. You just have to like put yourself out there because think of the, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> that answer. you just gave. They're nice about it. Well, yeah, I don't know about it in the clinics, well, but some, we are. Have the, <laughs> some are nice about it. We had a big, uh, a group discussion of like clinical cases. I think it's prepping us for, you know, where Corbin is now. And I said one thing and it was wrong. And he was like, yes, that's, does everyone agree with that? Like, that's his way. No, sit back down. <laughs> my my favorite is when they, you know, you'll ask, uh, you'll say something and then I'll be like, you know, like, this is because of this. And they're like, is it because of that? <laughs> and like, oh. I'm, I'm not sure now, actually. Did you faint? Oh, I fainted like four times. Yeah. I'm really? a fainter. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> I'm, be- I'm starting to become a cut. I know what I need to do. See, the thing about, here's a tip for your surgery rotation. Surgery is a fine balance between hydrating enough not to pass out and not hydrating too much <laughs> that you have to pee for eight hours. <laughs> That's so, what catheters are for. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very good at finding the balance, apparently, <laughs> because I faint. Okay. But just know that 
Painting does not preclude you from becoming a doctor, apparently. Yeah. So you just do you just wear a helmet as preventive? Yeah, I just warn everyone I'm I'm a fainter. I'll just step out <laughs> when I need to. <laughs> so, Mark, what has been the the biggest surprise for you as, as an M two now, transitioning from from undergrad to medical school? What's been the biggest surprise that you've seen as a medical student? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I the biggest surprise coming here of something totally unexpected. I think. It's the financial side of medicine and how much business interacts with patient care. And that was something I knew and it's something I'm like kind of acutely aware of, but I didn't realize that it's not a part of the curriculum strictly. It becomes this extracurricular portion. And they started a healthcare science and distinction or healthcare science delivery track here at Carver. And I kind of went on it on a whim. And the first seminar that they had was a couple hours long, and it blew me away of, like, these are just such critical pieces of knowledge of basic, you know, relationships and how a hospital is structured and how individuals have access to care that it seemed like this is, you know, I got to know it. And I think that was a huge, profound moment where I realized that I am doing a disservice to my patients by only focusing on clinical care that I must educate myself on the administrative side as well. And I think that's really changed my perspective on what I'm supposed to be doing for these four years. So much so that you think it should be part of a, uh, of a curriculum? Oh, absolutely. I think that was one of the greatest things they did was putting that here and adding it to our curriculum. Um, it's co-curricular, um, so it's not mandatory for every student, but there are elements that are pulled from that that become mandatory. And I, I should say that it was created by students. This uh, particular distinction track oh, was basically put together by four students who saw a need and said, you know, this is something that we need to, to do. Mm-hmm. I would kind of echo what Mark said about since being in clinic, you kind of realize how much of um, how much of patient care is really just the system. If you will, it's not, you know, I, I kind of have joking, um, joked with a few of my friends recently about how I wish I could like go back to the old times or it's just like me in my office, you know, in a like small town with a leather bag and like a dog by my feet, you know, like the Norman Rockwell painting. Um, <laughs> getting paid in chickens. Yeah, getting paid in nice. chickens, chickens and eggs. Um, but I think it's really important actually for medical students to start being more aware of the system and the administrat- administrative side of things because... You know, I think it's I think in the future for us to have a a really humane healthcare system, we need to have people making those decisions, the big systems decisions who have taken care of patients, not just people who went and got their master's in healthcare administration. We need people who have taken care of patients who understand what 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 a patient's going through making big system changes. Interesting. Rachel with with being an M2 there as well with what Mark was just saying and, and Corbin just saying about this, this big system. How scared are you for the future of what the Affordable Care Act brings or whatever version of our healthcare system is next? I feel like I need a lot more like knowledge to answer this question. Probably. I feel like people with a ton of knowledge on this subject still can't like really answer this question in ways that like people are always will agree with. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel I, I, I take the fifth on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of tell you my thought on it. 
because yeah. it's it's something we talk about a lot during mock interviews and stuff with students is at the end of the day, patient care is patient care, whether it's a single pair system, whether it's a private sector like we have now or some mix of it. At the end of the day, behind closed doors, you're still taking care of a patient. And that's really the beauty of what medicine is. And 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 so that's why whenever I talk about it with people, I'm like, I don't care what is going on legislatively. Yes, it's I need to know it and, and I would love to give my input, but at the end of the day, I don't care because it's still one-on-one patient care. What do you think about that? I think that's important. I feel like that's like the most important part of us, our relationship with our patients, what we do for our patients is us actually seeing them and having that relationship with them. But at the same time, I feel like that the system is just such a big, important part of it and affects so many different things that we just don't really have control over that it's really hard to just like separate those out. Too naive. We can, we can can control, we can control. And that is that, that relationship that like one-on-one you're, you're, you're my patient. I'm your doctor. I'm going to help you. But there are so many things that can be done on a broader scale that it's, it's really, it's really hard to answer that. I think. Yeah. I wonder if I guess is, uh, you, you know, as a school that focuses, uh, much of its attention on primary care, um, and things like, you know, preventative medicine, community health, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's hard to help a community that, doesn't have access mm-hmm. to medicine. One of the big drivers of access to uh, healthcare is, you know, the amount of money that you have available to spend on it. And, uh, you know, that's, if, if you're going to, if you're going to be a physician in a community health setting, that's something that you've always got to be mindful of. I mean, especially when you talk about things like compliance, you know, like it's one of the things we've talked about on the show is how important, um, compliances to medicine and how it's also important not to judge patients based on their compliance as being good patients or bad patients. Sometimes compliance means getting to the clinic for your appointment. And if you can't get there because you have no money, then that's an, that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's also, it's, you know, the, the, I think it's a kind of a middle road because to a certain extent, the system can like infringe on your ability to like take care of your patient. It kind mm-hmm. of can. So it becomes a decision of how much am I willing to give up before, you know, like I don't want to take care. You know, I don't get to take care of patients the way I want to take care of patients, especially if, I don't know, I'm someone who has a lot of strong feelings about a lot of things. So if someone's telling me that like, I can't, you know, treat, you know, take care of a patient the way I want to take care of them, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. And especially, and if we're talking about underserved populations, if you're restricted by finances, if you, if you can't give that patient, um, what you think they deserve or what they need because of, you know, all these restrictions that their financial resources have or your clinic's financial resources have or how the system's set up so that what Medicaid doesn't cover X, Y, or Z, even though that's the best care for them. Like, I think it's extremely frustrating. It's just like terribly unjust. And I think if I was that provider providing that care, I would feel a little, you know, 
and which I'm sure I will be that provider providing this care one day where I'm just like, I don't feel great about this. You know, I don't feel great about the way that this is looks right and how this all pans out. You feel like it's actively working against you. Like it's the enemy sometimes when you just right. can't get patients what they need. I can, I can speak to it a little bit as well. Um, Kind of a personal story. So I, I my father had uh, multiple sclerosis, and uh, the medications he was on were costing a fair amount of money. And luckily, our insurance company was picking up a, a, a good amount of that. Well, then we lost that insurance, had to pick up another insurance company, and they required – it wasn't pre-authorization, but they wanted him to try a cheaper medication first uh, before they would put him on the more expensive. And – his, his doctor wrote to the the insurance company saying he's on this one it's working just for the love of god let him keep <laughs> taking this medication and the insurance company flat out told the doctor no mm. that's too bad so you were saying patient care is the key or like kind of what you were centralizing around was patient care is you know the heart of it which yep. i agree with totally yep. now did I, am i overreading it by you were, by saying like systems being overly concerned with systems medicine or delivery science is a negative or is like superfluous no it's it's not negative because it's the system that you're going to work in but i i think as students coming in you need to understand that and we all need to understand, even even those that are in it now, is that things are going to change. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem we're running into where we're dealing with these 40, 50, 60-year-old physicians who are tired of the change and they're being grumpy and they're getting burnt out. And it's like, okay, it's more change and the Affordable Care Act and you're taking my money away and, oh, you're going to judge me based on patient happiness. Okay, what's next? And, oh, more documentation and blah, 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 blah. And And focusing on that is what I believe is what's triggering the burnout, triggering the jadedness, triggering the frustration. And if you're able to to understand that all of those moving parts are always gonna be moving, and if you focus on the, the patient care first and foremost, your, your own care first and foremost, your own health and well-being first and foremost, I think we do a terrible job at that. Absolutely. Um, patient care second and everything else after that, then I think we get into a space where we are much happier or have the ability to be much happier because we're not focusing on all the other crap that's going to change. All right. So let's wrap up here. I want to go around the table, starting with you, Levi. My audience, non-traditional pre-med students, traditional pre-med students, those that are wanting one day to be where you are as a, as a medical student, what advice would you give to a pre-med student besides listening to the Short Coat podcast? <laughs> um, just, you know, find ways to, to get involved with organizations and stuff that are in line with your passions, you know. As I know, the coming right out of it, the pre-med, uh, it, it can be daunting. And definitely find the select few things that you're really passionate about. And really pursue those because those are what help make you who you are and kind of help you to uh, tell your story later. And once you get to medical school, you know, if you've kind of delineated what your passions are, you're going to want to stick with those because they're going to help you maintain, uh, you know, a, a piece of yourself as you kind of start start the journey into, you know, diving headfirst into all the studying and all the 
all the things that are going to take hours out of your day to make sure that you, you found a few things to uh, kind of keep yourself centered. Corbin? Um, I would, I have two pieces of advice, I guess. One is to, um, this is a little controversial advice. One is to give yourself permission not to go to medical school. Yes. Like give yourself permission to decide that this isn't what you want and make sure that it's what you really, really want before you decide to do it. It's okay to change your mind. Yeah. It's okay to change your mind and decide you don't want to be a doctor. Like it's totally okay. Um, and two is kind of what Levi was saying, like, don't forget who you are in the whole process. Stay, stay home, if you will, to what you care about and what you value, because in pre-med, they've probably already experienced it. People will tell you what you need to do to get in. They'll tell you who you need to be, what you need to say when you go to interview, what you're, and that continues on in medical school. People will tell you what research you need to be to get the residency you want to be. People will tell you what you need to do to, you know, impress this attending, to get, you know, good evals. But the most important thing is that you stay true to who you are because that's what it's all about in the end. And that's what's going to make your life worthwhile. And that's what's, I mean, if you're true to who you are, you're going to get good patient care. Like, that's what it's about. So Awesome. Mark? Um, I think... So gearing towards the non-traditional person or the traditional individual that feels that perhaps they're not ready to get into med school, the advice I would give is look at the support systems around yourself as you start kind of gearing up the machine of preparing for medical school and preparing all your pre-med courses and all that. And I think a lot of the determinants of whether you succeed or fail have more to do about what you built around yourself to succeed. Um, And I think one big thing is like, Success isn't defined by, you know, did I make it immediately? Did I go straight from high school to college to medical school and I'm shooting straight through and I'm going to get the residency and start my practice by the time I'm 30 and I'll be killing it? Uh, I don't, I think the biggest thing is focus on those support systems and it's okay to extend that process. And I think you will find yourself in a way better position, not just for succeeding in med school, but just as an individual as a whole. If you take that time to look around and say, I know what I want, but this isn't the moment yet. I'm going to go ahead and work on these other things in my life and become a total individual before I really gear. And I I don't want to call it a machine, but the idea is you're really going through a process. You're going through a refinement of yourself to become a product that is going to be the best for your patients. So make sure that you are presenting the best version that you can be before you start into that world. And I just, I don't know, I feel like the non-traditional path is an awesome way to go. And if you are losing hope earlier... It's okay to start considering that. And I think that's the big thing like Corbin was saying. It's okay to say med school is not for me right now. It is, it's not a one-time thing where you make that decision and it's over. You can always come back to it. Awesome. Love that. And for non-traditional students, like, don't be afraid of being there and be like, oh, I don't want to go back because I'll just be surrounded by 22-year-olds because that's not the that case is not at all. not the case at all, yeah. And it's so interesting to like meet people who have like gone into the workforce for like six years or like done something neat. Like, didn't, weren't you like a balloon party? You know, oh, as a plant. Get <laughs> <laughs> a couple things. You don't need to go into them now. <laughs> um, it's, it just makes it a lot cooler as an experience like just to have a really well-rounded class. And as a non-traditional student, that definitely like helps round it out more. Um, but I guess my advice would be like, don't, 
don't be boring. I guess that kind of like dovetails don't with that. Don't be boring. Don't be boring. Don't be don't be the person don't suck. who <laughs> is just like if you ask them, what do you do? You're like, oh, I study. I, I work yeah. really hard. I, I, you know, like don't don't just do that. Have other things that you're interested in. Maintain those interests. Don't just like retreat, become a hermit occasionally. Um, yeah. <laughs> keep, don't keep don't your be interests. a gunner. That's great. Yeah. Dave, as the mastermind behind the Short Coat Podcast, how can <laughs> students take what you've learned and hopefully implement podcasts in their undergrad or or in their medical school in the future? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, I so medical edu- I always say that medical education has a problem um, or a problem to solve, and that is to is to make sure that while you're providing all of this information to your students that they were going to need to practice, that they continue to be human beings, that they continue to be empathetic, good human beings. And I think one of the things that podcasting can do, and one of the things I hope that we do, is to provide a space to consider the implications of the system that you're in, of the process that you're engaging in. Um, there is very little protected space at this point in, 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 in the world of medical education There's very little protected space to sit down and think about what it is you're doing. Um, and that's one of the things that I think, um, podcasting can do. I'd love to see, I'd love to see more, um, podcasts in medical school. The other thing that I think it does is it, is it gets you used to the idea that you could be a force for communication in the public in the public sphere, and I'm thinking, you know, when I think about this, there are people who you can readily point to, uh, you know, the most famous one being Dr. Oz, right? Uh, he's a guy <laughs> that's had, a terrible uh, example. Well, it is. That's, I was, I was that's thinking why of Tool Gwandi. <laughs> yeah, Tool Gwandi, much better. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, when I I say Dr. Oz because. You know, in the past, anyway, he's and I don't know what his current situation is. I stopped worrying about him. But <laughs> the, the the in the past, he was not a force for good, in my opinion, as it relates to, you know, communicating medical information yeah. to he's the world. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, in, in a sense, we need counter. We need people to counter that. And I hope that podcasting could be a way, I think, I think definitely think that podcasting could be a way to expand one's sphere of influence for good. All right. That was Dave and all the students from the Short Coat podcast. Again, go check them out, theshortcoat.com. Thank you to Dave and all the students that take the time out of their day to come on this podcast. I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today, and I want to remind you that I have a book out. It's called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Interview, and you can go get it right now on Kindle. The paperback version is coming. It might be available by the time you check it out over at Amazon, but I'm not sure yet. Um, Again, you can go check it out on Amazon or go check it out at medschoolinterview.com book.com. If you get the Kindle version, you can actually get it for free for 30 days, I think, if you sign up for a Kindle Unlimited trial. So you can read the book. You can definitely read it in 30 days. 
and get all the useful information out of it, and you don't even have to pay for it. But that's okay. I wrote it so it will help you on your journey to getting into medical school. So hopefully it will help you do that. Again, medschoolinterviewbook.com or go to amazon.com and search for medical school interview and I'm usually right there in the top one or two. So I would greatly appreciate you going and checking out that book. All right, I hope you have a wonderful week. Next week is number 200. I still don't have any idea as we record this what I'm gonna do for episode 200 but I'm sure I'll do something fun or interesting or neither, but there will be an episode 200 at the very least. So I hope you join us for that and have a super collaborative week and check out everything else that we're doing over at mededmedia.com.